You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast with Sinan Schwarting and Kan Bayazit. Hey Black Eagles fans and welcome back to the long-awaited transfer episode after what was a very long and uh, stressful t- summer mercato, I'm sure, for, for all of you. The Besiktas signed seven new players, three of which we have already done an episode on. So the remaining four we owed you, um, and we are doing a special episode on them too. On today's episode, we have four special guests. Oliver Zessiger, Michael van Varenberg, Alan Dodson, and Mohamed Ali. These guys will be talking about our new transfers. Mohamed El Nini, Abdoulaye Diaby... George Kevin Nkudu, and of course, the long-awaited episode for Victor Ruiz. And we're going to be starting now straight away with that Victor Ruiz episode with Alan Dodson of Villarreal USA. Hello, amigo. How are you? Come to Besiktas. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We're here to talk about one of our new transfers this window, and that player is Victor Ruiz. I promised you this episode a while ago. It took a while. We've seen Victor Ruiz in action for a couple of games now, but I'm here... Speaking to Alan Dodson of uh, Villarreal USA. He's the head writer there. Uh, Alan, thank you very much for joining us and uh, telling us a little bit more about uh, Victor Ruiz. Sure, you're welcome. Happy to happy to happy to be able to chime in. So Ruiz um, has had a, I think, by and large, a, a fairly successful career at Villarreal. I think um, he could he was a little bit polarizing to the fan base his last year or so here. Um, but that was that was partly, I think, just due to the fact that the team was struggling overall last year. Um, I've always thought he was an, he was a player who um, I think always had potential. I think when Marcelino was coach, he really worked with him and made him a better defender. I mean, that's kind of what Marce is known for. So um, I think it was a situation for us where we probably. I think probably he wanted to move and we wanted to move as well. Not, not that it was a, you know, we were tired of him, so to speak, but I think the feeling was we needed to try something different. And I think he wanted to try something different. Yeah, we've seen him in action at Besiktas now for uh, three games. He started in all three of uh, the, the first opening games for, of the season. Uh, Besiktas did not have to play any qualifiers, but we've seen him in action in the Super League. And despite the fact that Besiktas actually lost the opening ma- on the opening match, they 3-0 which uh, is a pretty uh, irregular thing for Besiktas, I can tell you. That uh, doesn't happen too often. I can't, In fact, I can't actually remember last time uh, we, we had such a poor display on the first match day. But I do have to say, Victor Ruiz was like one of the few bright spark spots in that match. He, Despite the scoreline, he was excellent. I think he was flawless in that game. Uh, then last week, uh, Besiktas played against... Um, I'm already... Uh, blowing out now on, on, on the team we play Gustepe and he had another phenomenal performance and uh, then the other day uh, this this past weekend uh, we played against Shaiku Rizespor that match ended in a 1-1 and he actually again a really good performance except for one moment where he uh, could have given away a penalty but I think it was just outside the box where a player mm-hmm. headed the ball past him and then kind of ran into him but for some reason he decided to lift his arm up don't know why he did that uh-huh. um, but apart from that I mean we've been really pleased with what we've seen really good build-up play um, and and crucial tackles, interceptions, um, blocks. Yeah, just a, the player we, we, we think we've been looking for for a long time. Basically, I've been looking for a left-footed uh, ball-playing midfielder for quite some time. And it's all looking good so far, but uh, please do tell us what was the fact that uh, made him so, such a polarizing figure for the last year or so at Villarreal, well, because I well, have I think, heard... I think basically... Um, so we we had for a while um, our our back our our um, center backs. We sort of had a rotation of three that uh, of which he was one, and he basically played um, 
in our system, you know, the center backs typically play quite a ways up the pitch most of the time. And, and um, so he, he did that. The, th- the, the problem for us, I think, is that he's not a very fast player. And so in our system, we really work best when we have a fast def- um, center back and one who's not so fast. If you think back to somebody like Eric Bailly or, or um, Gabriel, we wanted, you know, you, you need somebody who can kind of take on those one-on-ones and catch up with defenders when there's a, when there's a long ball played beyond you. But you also need the, the player like Ruiz, who's, who's a more calm on the ball and can win, can win it in midfield, win headers and, and things like that. Um, he sort of, for whatever reason, fell out of favor last year with um, with Coach Calleja. I don't know quite what happened. He's he's always had um, a bit of a fiery temperament, I would say, and that um, that may have been part of it. He may not have he may not have taken um, so well to becoming less important in the rotation. I don't know. I mean, but that would be my speculation. Um, what what he's really I think what you commented about a couple of the things he's very good at are things that you mentioned he's he's an, he's a very good um, he's he's was one of the only players of, of our center back trio who was really good at passing out of the back and really um, sort of seeing the game more like a midfielder in that sense um, so in that respect, I think that's, that's always been a strength of his game. He's also good at, at blocking shots. Um, he's, he's not the most mobile defensively, but he's, but he's good at sort of getting himself in front of the ball. And, uh, and he's, he's also good at, um, on corners at coming up and, uh, trying to head the ball in the net too. And early on, I think, I, I do feel like, um, his partnership with Tomago Vida has uh, already uh, looked quite promising. I mean, bo- we've in the past had the problem with, with Vida uh, that he didn't really have the most reliable partner. And I always had the feeling that he kind of had to compensate for that. But now with, 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 with Ruiz, there's just, I don't know, just, I, I don't feel any, um, any worry, so to speak, whenever the, the opponents are attacking, uh, despite the fact that we lost on match day one, but I, like I said, defensively the, the, the back line has looked very solid. Um, I mean, we lost three nil on the opening match day, but mo- that was all individual mistakes. One from Gary Medel in midfield, one from Quaresma uh, mar- not doing his job in, in, in tracking back and marking the the fullback, and uh, yeah, the, the third one was a little bit of a goalkeeper mistake, I'd say, and and just the central duo has looked really good early on. Um, and and yeah, the things you say is uh, that you're that you're highlighting our stuff we've we've noticed with his build up. I think that's why we brought him in. That was a profile of player the club was going after. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else you think we we can expect of him? That uh, I don't know. Um, like you said, he has a little bit of a fiery temperament. Is he someone that's maybe going to let the team down at some point? Uh, take a stupid red card or give away a dumb penalty, stuff like that. Does he is he is he prone to brain farts, so to speak? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, my I guess my opinion there is is uh, colored a little bit by the fact that I was at the um, I was at Anfield when we played Liverpool a couple of years ago in the in the um, Europa League semis and we were um he ended up getting a red card in that game and the first yellow was basically for dissent and I don't remember even what it was about um it was in the first half and then in the second half um there was a challenge on uh, Adam Lana I think it was sort of at the top of the box and and Ruiz made a clumsy challenge. It, it was the kind of thing, frankly, the referee could have let go um, <laughs> instead of giving him a second red and second yellow and giving him his marching orders. But I think Ruiz had probably been barking at the referee for a while. And he, and he kind of thought, Hey, you're, you're out of here. I'm not going to give you any, any benefit of the doubt. Um, that's a fairly rare occurrence, but you know, it will happen. He can sometimes get in, um, you can sometimes get in in situations like that. I wouldn't say it will happen often, but you know you might expect it. Um, you know he might get a red card a year or something like that. He's um, you know he's not 
he's positionally, I think, pretty astute. I think that's one thing that Marcelino really worked with him on. And he's so he's not going to get caught out of position many times and make, you know, make a, a red card challenge for something like that. So I think that's OK. I think he will. There are going to be occasions where he makes a um, watch him when it comes to controlling high balls um, in midfield, because it seems like all of our our center backs have difficulties judging those sometimes. And he was one. So. You know, if I were if I were the opposition, that's one thing I would look to look to put him under pressure when there's a high ball cleared from the from the box and he's you know going up for it, something like that. And in terms of um, physical decline, for example, he's a uh, 30 years old right now. That's not very old for a defender, but some people's bodies age quicker than the other person. No, so. I think he's, I think he's fine in that respect. I, okay. I don't I don't see him any different. When he was playing last season, I didn't see physically he was any different than he had been, you know, three years ago. Okay, that's great to hear. Well, I think yeah. that's pretty much uh, that pretty much wraps it up. Um, thank you very much, Alan, for uh, your insights on uh, our new signing, Victor Ruiz-Torre. And uh, we'll be continuing this episode with the rest of our summer transfers that happened in the last uh, week or so, because there's been a bunch of those. So, Alan, thank you very much. And good luck with Villarreal USA. And good luck to Villarreal in the season. And maybe we can uh, meet in the Champions League, hopefully, next season. Hey, that would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we get to see Victor Ruiz again, which would not be a bad thing. I, I think I'm one of the people who uh, really respected his time at the club and really um, I'm happy that he's found a new home. It sounds like it's working out. So far it is, but it's only three matches in, so let's keep yeah. our fingers crossed. Uh, but the coach really, really likes him and uh, it was a player he insisted on, the, the profile of the player at least. So uh, he's going to have a, an important role in the team for sure. And I, I think Villarreal a couple of years ago had like the most, the best defense in, in La Liga, except for maybe Barcelona and Real or something. But they had like a really good defensive. Yeah, uh, yeah that was when Marcelino was was there, and and that was really his focus. And since then, we sort of lost that, and now we seem to be trying to outscore the opposition all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe me, we've we've uh, had our fair seasons of those, but now we're in a season where everything starts from the back without actually ignoring the offensive play. But at the moment, our productivity in front of goal isn't as good, but the football is uh, starting to look decent. So that's a, that's a good start for us, at least. That's a good start. Yeah, one, one last thing I would say about Ruiz in passing is that, because I'm not that familiar with the, with the Turkish league, so you'll, you'll, you can tell me if this... Um, I think in Spain, the, um, the, the emphasis on speed in, in attack and quick and the, and the quick, um, what I want to say, the, the very technically um, astute players means that defenders are, it's a little different than playing, you know, he, he played in Serie A for, for Napoli and that's a, that's a different style. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think he's much more suited to that style of play. Really. I think Marcelino did a really good job at sort of adapting him to the, to the Spanish league. Um, but I think it, it sounds to me as though in Turkey he'll 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 find a, a, a really good place to play. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hello, amigo. How are you? Come to Besiktas. Hello, Black Eagles, and welcome back. Today we're talking about our new signing, George Kevin Nukudu. And uh, joining me live right now from uh, Paris, I think it is Mohamed Ali, a sports journalist who uh, focuses on Olympique de Marseille. Uh, Mo, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me on. So, Mo, this is a little bit of a, a transfer that kind of came out of left, left field for us. Uh, Besiktas were working on, on a couple of different uh, options on, on the left wing. Uh, but Mkudu came out uh, at the end, and uh, we were a little bit surprised by that it's a, a full transfer and all that, but I'm not going to bore you with all that information. Um, but he's a bit of a question mark for us because over the past three or so years since he signed with Tottenham, he hasn't really played a lot of football, uh, so to speak. Uh, he had a, a short loan spell both at Monaco and one at uh, at Burnley uh, last the last six months uh, of, of uh the previous season he spent at Monaco, but he had a hamstring injury, which basically took him out 
for nearly the entire loan spell. So what we're going to do is go a little bit further back in time and we're going to talk to you since uh, you cover uh, Marseille, of course, and he kind of had his breakout season at Marseille three years ago. That's why Tottenham signed him. Uh, so yeah. basically, I just want to pick your brain on what you think of, of the player Nukudu was back then, the potential he had, and whether you understand why Tottenham opted to sign him after just one season at Marseille. Yeah, no, it's it's a difficult question when it comes to Nkudu. It's been, um, I think, several years since he's played at the top level. You've mentioned uh, sort of poor seasons at Tottenham, Burnley and Monaco earlier this year. So it's been, I think, well, he's 24 years old, so maybe in the six years that he's been a professional You'd have to go back to his one season at Marseille and the the year before his breakout season at Nantes uh, to find a really good performance. And if he replicates his 2015-16 performance for OM in, uh, in Istanbul, Bejik uh, Tesh will have uh, sort of a nifty player for them. Uh, that year, he was he was relatively decent. That year, a lot of OM fans can remember to be a very barren year uh, for several reasons. It was the season after Marcelo Bielsa left, and it was Bielsa who first saw Nkudu um, playing for Nantes and ended up negotiating a, a very low-cost €1 million Euro deal uh, to bring him to the velodrome. Um, and as a left-winger, uh, he was he was very good. Um, as you can imagine, with some of these uh, sort of wingers, uh, they are mostly show um, and relatively low substance. So, you know, pace, dribbling, able to beat a man. But the most important thing is how they deliver um, balls into the box, how they create danger, move into the central areas. And Nkudu did did a lot of that, uh, mainly because um, he had a coach, uh, Michel, who succeeded Bielsa, who allowed him a bit of free reign. Uh, and Marseille didn't have a lot of options as well uh, in attack. Um other than Batshuayi at the time. So Nkudu would take a lot of the responsibilities in being sort of free reign over the le that left area. And he did really well. He scored, I think, five goals in Liga that year. Um, and in Europe, in the Europa League, uh, did pretty well. In fact, uh, he was somehow uh, named in the UEFA best poll, uh, the best player in Europe poll that summer, ended, ended up in 30th place. Um, which is a is a very good, you know, sort of indication of how well he did uh, that year. Even though it was a bit of a surprise that he ended up there. So for for that year in Marseille, he was he was uh, an interesting player. He was good on the ball. He worked well in creating opportunities for 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 the for the forward. Even though Marseille as a whole had a very very challenging year, and that was um, why Tottenham had signed him. Um, and for, for those that remember the time, Tottenham waited about six weeks to get the player in, even though a deal had been agreed um, long before. But for some reason or another, um, it just took a long while. And Tottenham persevered and persevered and persevered to get that deal over the line. And he, he ended up coming, replacing a, a player of his profile. Um, who didn't do too well, Clinton NG, who, who moved to Marseille in Nkudu's place and now has signed for uh, for Moscow uh, in this window. So it's it's hard to see sort of how this player can um, sort of reinvigorate his career after three barren seasons. He's only played, I think, 20 or 30 times for Tottenham over three years. Um, he, he, he didn't do too well at Burnley. Um, maybe I think the Premier League, uh, the style of play in the Premier League and the intensity might have had something to do with it. But he had a chance to uh, come back to Monaco um, and reinvigorate his career there, but for injuries and, and one thing or another, he only, only played a handful of games there. So, you know, at the end of the day, Bejiktas have got uh, a, a, a player who has a lot to prove. Um, and the player in this situation, when they move to a place like Turkey, you know, Turkey is not an easy place to play in. Um, it's it's definitely a, a, a place where players who haven't done well in England or or the top leagues to have a second chance. But if they fail there, um, there's nowhere else to go. You know, sort of your career at the top level 
uh, team is is now sort of over. And that's why you see a lot of players doing really, really well in Turkey, uh, reinvigorating their careers, especially Tash, for example, have, have benefits from that in the last couple of years. So I can see the reason why uh, Besiktas have gone for that sort of player, but also it's uh, it's a low cost deal. It's not going to be um, a big risk for them to take him on, but there's a lot of benefits to come from it. Well, it's a, it's a low cost deal, relatively speaking, if you look at uh, the transfer market these days. But uh, trust me, for Besiktas, five million euros is a lot of money. They yeah. don't spend that too often. That's that's literally brings him in the top ten of most expensive transfers of all time for the club. So. Ah. It yeah. is. It is a some a player. They are clearly putting some some faith in. Um, so my question for you is: How would you describe him as a player? Like, what are his main strengths? What What would you say um, makes him stand out? And uh, mm-hmm. you already kind of addressed his profile a little bit, but maybe you can put a little bit more emphasis on his strengths and weaknesses. Right. So yeah, no, he is a very pacey player. Um, he he has a lot of pace on him. Uh, a very good dribble of the ball, um, and one thing that makes that makes me stand out is that he he likes to take on a defender. Um, he likes to take on a defender, and more often than not, beats them. So he hugs the touchline very, very closely in playing deep um, going forward, um, and loves to receive the ball in from from a right back or from the midfield, um, and then takes on the player and then attempts to cut in with a cross and deliver the ball. That's sort of the style of play that he does. Um, he's also a player that likes to drift in centrally um, if if sort of the tactics or the way the manager set up um, affords him to. Uh, in Marseille, he would do that regularly in that he'll start from the left wing, but more often than not, because of the lack of forward options, he will double up as a sort of a, a player that moves centrally, maybe as a second striker at times. On, on actually a couple of occasions, he did play as a forward for Marseille um because of injuries or whatnot. So that's that's the sort of sort of profile that you're looking at. Um and that's that's his strengths. His weaknesses is that not not a lot of tracking back. He is definitely a forwards player. Um so you there are plenty of uh players who who combine attacking and defensive combinations. He's one player that sort of rarely drops beyond the halfway line um, and just likes to receive the ball in the position rather than gaining it deep in, moving it forward and then receiving the ball further up. He's somebody that sort of hangs around in a specific area um, and it's, it's largely unlikely to drop back and, and whatnot. Um, so, and further weakness, I'd say, would be decision-making at times. Um, I think he improved that from Nantes to Marseille um, where he had a set sort of responsibility in beating his player and then delivering the ball in the final third. His cross sort of completion rate wasn't pretty high. Um, his ability to create danger in the final third, which is the most important place, can be on and off. Um, and inconsistency is also something that has been a problem. So, you know, at Marseille, there'll be you know stretches that he would be the team's best player or second best player, and the first name on the team sheet. And then at times you're thinking, well, he hasn't produced anything of note in the last three, four games. We need to bring on another player who can play. The problem with Marseille was there was no other player who was at his level. So <laughs> we would be stuck uh, during his uh, sort of uh, dry period. Um, so, yeah, inconsistency at you know final third sort of proficiency can be a bit questionable at times. And I think that's what contributed to you know, Tottenham freezing him out. They've signed him, they've given him a chance. Um, and in a, in, a, in a very intense league, uh, like the Premier League, and for a high-flying club like Tottenham, um, you know, nine million is nothing to them. And if a player doesn't work out after the first month or two, they're very, you know, they're very uh, quickly going to move on to somebody else. Um, and I think no, I think it's been very apparent from the first year that they wanted to move him on. Um, and you know, Nkudu's only played in sort of international Champions Cup matches, pre-season matches since, uh, because there was an idea that he was not going to, um, you know, improve or suddenly become a first-name player at Tottenham, and they've since moved on and bought um, other wingers like Lucas Moura from, from Paris Saint-Germain 18 months ago. So it's a bit, you know, 
uh, you know, he had he had the chances to show a different pace at Burnley and Monaco, but for injuries that hasn't happened. Um, so hopefully at Bishop Tash in a in a different environment, he's able to sort of rekindle the flame and become a player that he was uh, three years ago because he's 24. He's still relatively young. Um, there's there's a lot of potential there and there's a lot of lost time. So I think the environment is right in a different league. You know, and Besiktas still, um, you know, offered the opportunity and potential of uh, you know, a title challenge and European competition and whatnot. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of gains to be made there. Yeah, plus a lot of players have moved on in the past couple of years. And for example, Marcelo went to to, went to mm-hmm. Lyon. We have other examples of of players that uh, like. Abu Bakar, who was just alone with us, but he went on and had a really good season at Porto until he unfortunately got an ACL injury and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Besiktas have had a, a good track record as well with, with rekindling the careers of players like Mario Gomez, for example, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when, you're, when, you, when you think of, of Nakudu, would you say he's a player that prefers to look for a cross or someone who's going to try and get his shot in? Um, yeah, what type yeah, but I mean, it depends. It depends where in the field that he is, but I definitely say that the first sort of port of call is going to be dribbling past a player. Um, and there are, some, there are some teams who play very, very deep and you know put several men behind the ball. So you can already see that that option doesn't work out. So he is, I'm not going to call him a one-trick pony, uh, that he has the same move over and over again, because obviously Iron Robin is uh, famous for that, but that never stopped him becoming the world-class player that he was. Um, so, you know, Nkudu is somebody who would, first of all, try to beat a player, then look for a shot, and then sort of opt for the cross. So he's more of, you know, trying to open up a position and trying to test a goalkeeper. It's it's highly unlikely that um, you know he's he's a crossing man. That's not his main proficiency. His main proficiency is is sort of stretching out the defence, going into danger areas, and then moving the ball centrally. Whether it's through a shot for himself and carving it out, or creating space. Creating space is is a big big thing for him. Um, so yeah. So he's also going to benefit his teammates basically by stretching out the defence. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think, you know, like he's, he's one of the players that play to their strengths rather than playing to a set sort of uh, team structure. There are, there are players whose, whose um, personal qualities are sort of hindered because the manager wants them to play a certain way. So far in his career, um, he's somebody that's really used his strengths and managers have looked to use his strength. And his strength is pace and dribbling proficiency. So you can use that in drawing out defenders, creating space for other players, or running at a team, especially on the break, on the counter, very, very effective um, in taking the ball and just running with it and other players are able to join you and then, you know, really causing damage when a defensive team is at a a loss and they need to track back. So that's the sort of positions where he, he, he wants to exploit and hopefully, you know, he has opportunity to do that. And how would you say is this off the ball move, movement when he's not on the ball himself? How is it? How how are his runs? Um, yeah, um, well, his runs, his ability to sort of find space and make runs offensively is is pretty good. Um, and again, for your listeners, I'm only talking about his time at Marseille. He hasn't had a lot of opportunity to play elsewhere. Um, and at Monaco, I, I just remember that he he basically didn't play that much to sort of flick on anyone's radar. Um, yeah, I think he only played like two or three league games at Monaco or something like that. Um, so off his ball, like I mentioned earlier in the conversation, uh, defensively, um, you know, he's not tracking back uh, a great deal. Um, he hasn't got experience of tra- tracking back a lot. Um, so if you're expecting a player to sort of come back and make amends or cover, um, you know, especially when you know your own team is, uh, uh, you know, being countered against. Is is it's, it's unlikely that he'll be proficient in following that defensively. But offensively, he is pretty good in um, creating uh, in spaces through his movements. And defenders are often keeping a, a, a you know an eye on him in that he, his movements is causing space elsewhere on the pitch. Um, so he has he has good sort of fluency in 
in in you know making runs off the ball, um, enabling opportunities for teammates to pass to him in an interesting position. Um, at times, that sort of keenness it gets him offside uh, more than a couple of times um, at Marseille. He, him and his uh, teammates Alessandrine, who's now in Los Angeles, um, were very well noted by the number of offsides they would make uh, because of their movement, because of their keenness to beat the man. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Okay, and then finally, um, what would you say about his uh, his finishing ability? If he comes one on one with a goalkeeper, how is his ability? To, is he is he the type of uh, winger that just hits the ball and hopes it goes in, or is he someone that can actually beat uh, the goalkeeper on skill, whether it's going by past him or placing a proper shot? No, I think his finishing ability is pretty good. Um, he hasn't scored the most amount of goals, but that's because. Um, for one reason or another, like I said, Marseille had, were, were, had, had a very barren year, so it's not exactly down to him. But the fact that even in Marseille's worst uh, season, um, that Tottenham managed to come in for for uh, a, a nine million euro bid for him just you know sort of proves. And also, and Batshuayi that year also went for for a big fee. But his finishing ability is pretty good. He scored five goals and made three assists uh, for Marseille in 28 games. Um, he he had had a very good year in uh, creating opportunities and developing um, nice goals. Uh, his finishing is not a sort of player that just picks up the ball from 25 yards out, has an opportunity and then strikes the ball. Um, I refer you to his his game against uh, Saint Etienne, that Marseille won uh, away from home against a team that were higher in the league than they were um, played, scored one and made the other, two very very nice goals uh, that the team made, um, one from his own boots, so he's a player that likes to be perfectionist when it comes to finishing uh, not just sort of the strike and we'll see where it goes, it normally goes over the bar or well wide, there's no thoughts um, there's some thoughts sorry, in his, in his finishing um, but it doesn't take the biggest amount of shots um, which is which is the issue. Um, so it's it's about also converting the opportunities that comes his way as well, and that's something that he he needs to improve, especially in that a player that's that high up in the on the pitch uh, is expected to bring his fair share of goals as well, rather than just create opportunities. And that's just the way that the football world works these days. It's not so the burden sort of doesn't rely on the one or two strikers that you have, but the left winger or the right winger is expected to come uh, and chip him with about seven to eight, seven to ten league goals or something like that. That's the mark of a truly attack-minded uh, winger. So hopefully um, that's something he's able to improve. You know, He's only scored seven top-flight goals in his career uh, for Marseille and Nantes. Um, so that's something that, that needs to be improved for sure. Okay, well, thank you, Mohamed Ali, for your analysis of our new player, George Kevin Nukudu. At uh, Mohamed Ali underscore 93 on Twitter, you can follow him for anything about Olympic Marseille and French football. It's a great account to follow if you don't speak French and you prefer to get your uh, news in English. Uh, Mo, thank you very much for joining us. And, thank uh, you very much. Your Hello, amigo. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Come to Besiktas. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We're here to talk to Oliver Zesiger right now about Mohamed El Neni because obviously El Neni he's been playing for Arsenal for the past couple of years, but he had his his heyday, so to speak, at FC Basel. And Oliver Zesiger is an expert when it comes to Swiss football. He is a professional scout, and he also works on the football manager database. For so, for all of you who enjoy uh, football manager. Um, some of those wonder kits you all like to buy early on. Oliver probably has a hand in those. So, uh, Oliver, thank you very much for uh, joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Oliver, like I said, the reason I'm talking to you is because I want to get uh, the view of someone who has seen El Neni in his prime, probably playing at a similar level that he will in Turkey because in Ar at Arsenal, let's be honest, it wasn't a massive success. I think he played a very decent amount of games in three and a half years, um, but he was never really, he never really lived up to the expectations, I guess you could say. And um, 
reviews may be a little bit overly negative because that's how it tends to go when a player doesn't fully live up to their expectations. Um, but I want to get your professional opinion on the player. First and foremost, how did you generally see him at uh, FC Basel? How did he perform? Um, he got gradually better from season to season. When he first arrived, he was he, he arrived alone for six months only. And then Basel made it permanent and he got better from season to season and he really earned that move. I think I've rarely re read or heard so many positive voices from Basel fans about the transfer because he really earned that uh, big step to Arsenal. And uh, while he's not a flashy player, he was very well liked by the Basel supporters because he has that uh, hardworking mentality. And that's what the football fans in general, I think, like still like today. Yeah, and of course, Basel have an amazing track record uh, when it comes to Egyptian players because, of course, Mohamed Salah had his career launched at the club uh, in Europe and then he, of course, went on to AS Roma and now Liverpool and is one of the best players in the world. Um, El Nini, unfortunately for him, his step to the big leagues didn't pan out quite uh, as such, but still a player that has proven himself at Basel and there's been plenty of those still. Uh, for example, El Yunusi, I think he just went on loan to Celtic. Besiktas were linked with him too. Another player that had a great uh, little stint at, at Basel for two years. Obviously, he's not Egyptian, but uh, just an example there. But um, what what would you say are uh, El Neni's main strengths and also his, his shortcomings? Where did he, when, when you saw him at Basel, still need to work on what did he need to improve to become an elite level midfielder at the time. So uh, I'd say that he's uh, he's able to run for 90 minutes. So his stamina is absolutely exceptional. Um, his work rate on the pitch, the, the ground he can cover, um, especially off the ball, is is also fantastic. He has a good ball. He has a good uh, long ball to uh, switch sides. Um, for example. Um, in counter-attacking situations from the back or in build-up situations, of course. Um, about his shortcomings, he's really not a player for the final th final third of the pitch. So he's not a good uh, finisher. He's not. He has not a final ball that uh, basically gives him uh, five or ten assists per per season. And his shot is wonky. So uh, he has scored great goals from outside the box, but. Um, in general, his, he doesn't shoot too often. That's another mistake from him because actually he could shoot, but uh, he doesn't shoot too often. And uh, that's um, he should be more confident when it comes to his shot, but he doesn't show it too often. And do you think that's something that he doesn't dare to do out of uh, himself? Is he a little bit too timid for that? Or might it be a, a coach uh, instruction? Because I remember with, for example, Ricardo Quaresma at Besiktas, his first stint at Besiktas and also at Porto, he, al he always took shots from distance and he scored some absolute screamers. It was really uh, a specialty for him. But then in his second stint, I really had the impression that he was told by the coach, don't shoot, try to find the footballing solution. And he rarely took a shot do you think it's something that stems from himself or is it uh, more maybe coaches that uh, give him that task not to shoot i think it comes from uh, tactical instructions because on any at basel was played as an eight and now at arsenal is more was more played like, like a six i have not seen uh, most of the games he played for arsenal but whenever he played i thought he played as a six so he's uh, late arriving in the final third, and then obviously you have uh, like seven defenders ahead of you, plus uh, maybe uh, five or six teammates, and it makes no sense to, to shoot from there. Uh, at the beginning, at Basel, uh, he was hesitant to shoot. It, it wasn't a tactical instruction. It was him that was not uh, not confident enough in his shot, and uh, that grew into... Uh, into a really good uh, shot and into a really confident player at, at the club. But in general, I think uh, tactical instructions prevent him from scoring more or from shooting more from distance. And I've also heard that uh, I believe at Basel he was taking set pieces, uh, direct and indirect free kicks and corners as well. Uh, is that is that something that is uh, can be considered a, uh, a specialty or is my information wrong here? <laughs> I think your information is a bit uh, incorrect. I can't remember him ever scoring from a set piece or a free kick in this case. I, it's possible that he took some free kicks and 
especially and indirect ones, I think, because his shot is rather uh, hard, not very accurate. And um, corners, I can't remember really, but I don't think it was him who took the corners because Basel usually uh, has a number 10 uh, or a winger who takes the corners. Yeah, and I think Salah was there at least for the first season or so, so that doesn't, wouldn't make too much sense. I'm not sure where I read that. Uh, might have been a scouting report before he went to Arsenal, so those guys fooled me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, another question. Uh, Besiktas are mainly getting him as uh, a six, but I do have the impression that Abdullah Avci does not want to play with a traditional six. He wants to um, yeah, play a, a straightforward 4-3-3 without really a traditional six that focuses solely on defense. Um but he's also, for example, now he's playing with a false left back and stuff like that. It's very interesting to see. But the, the, the emphasis seems to be on kind of the same type of football that you would see from, from Dortmund. Uh, trying to recover the ball within five or six seconds. Um, same, of course, of Barcelona. Abdullah Avci is a really big fan of uh, Pep Guardiola's style of play. So that's what we saw mainly in the last uh, game against uh, Rizespor, especially in the first half. It was really impressive. Bistec had a, an average ball recovery at, 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 of 5.8. Do you think that Elneny is the right type of player to fit into a system like that? Is he someone who can... Uh, challenge for the ball, win the ball back quickly, cleanly? Um, and, and how is he in terms of intercepting the ball? Generally speaking, in, in a defensive point of view, how do you, would you see him fit into something like that? I think that's a, he would be a good fit. Um, he has uh, he can read a game, which is uh, another one of his strengths. Uh, that makes him, uh, pro, uh, makes him perfect to intercept balls. I also think that he can help in a 4-3-3. He can help as a build-up man between the midfield or uh, yeah, between midfield and the goalkeeper. So um, as I said before, with his long balls, with his ball distribution from the back, and he has a tactical discipline. And as I said, he works hard on the pitch. So he's really made for uh, intercepting early attacks and uh, win the ball back as quickly as possible, and then distribute it to uh, to a playmaker further up the pitch. And in terms of intelligence on the ball, you said he's good at reading the game uh, to cut out passes, stuff like that. How is he in terms of keeping his head cool in uh, difficult situations? For example, of course, in Turkey, we have these huge derbies with Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, where sometimes the opponents use tactics to um, try and provoke an emotional response, uh, try to get pay- players sent off. Uh, Besiktas have been the victim of that a lot, uh, in, 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 in not so much in recent years, but in the years prior when we had a younger team where our players were a little bit naive and allowed themselves to get goaded into those types of things. And now Besiktas have a younger team again. So it's a possibility that that, that kind of stuff is going to happen again with experienced uh, guys like Emre Belozolo at Fenerbahce and I don't think Galtzray necessarily have those profile of players who would try and do that right now. But yeah, in general, do you think he's the type of player that can keep his head cool under those types of um, high-pressure situations? I have to say, um, when he played in Switzerland, he has certainly not experienced something like you you just explained, uh, like the big derbies in Turkey was uh, a step above the Swiss derbies that we have. Also, the Premier League, I mean, the biggest game you probably had uh, in the Premier League was the North London Derby. And uh, it's not the same emotion in, in this game. Well, um, it's, a, it's a huge game, but it's not the same emotion from the stands and certainly not from the players on the pitch. But um, he is a very level-headed guy. So he's a very calm. He almost appears to be shy. And um, he's only seen one red card in his life. So I think there will be no problem with his discipline. But it can be very heated. Um, he's played in Egypt, of, of course. He's Egyptian. And uh, he, he may have uh, had a derby or two at the young age there where it was as heated or uh, close to as heated as it, it will be in Turkey. But I don't think there will be a problem with him. As I said, he's calm. He's actually um, very... Rest, rest, uh, he refrains himself um, very much. Um, rarely gives interviews and on the pitch is rarely provoked um, only in very special situations but I don't think uh, 
those uh, therapies will pose a problem for him. Oliver Zesiger, thank you very much uh, for giving your insights on uh, Mohamed El Nini. I can't really think of any more questions from what I gather from uh, what you just told us. is basically that in the 4-3-3 system that Bishtis are probably going to be playing going forward, um, he should fit in well as the designated quote-unquote 6, even though he isn't really uh, a default 6 like you would describe, uh, for example, uh, Maxime Gonalon, for example. I think that's... Uh, a more traditional six in, in modern day football. So thank you very much. I will add, of course, your uh, Twitter tag, everything like that, where can be put, people can find you and follow you on Twitter. Definitely where to follow, to uh, follow Oliver because he has great insights, obviously. And uh, yeah, just if you have any questions about players in Switzerland, for example, um, go pester him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Oliver. Now you're gonna get bombarded. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I don't think I do, but uh, we'll see. Hello, amigo. Thank you. How are you? Come to Besiktas. So we're continuing our preview of our new transfers this window uh, with Abdullah Diaby. A uh, former player of uh, Club Brugge in Belgium and also, of course, Sporting Lisbon, the club where we loaned him from. But because he had his heydays in Belgium mainly, I am talking today with Michael van Varenberg, who is a sports commentator for the Belgian Pro League uh, and several uh, major channels in Belgium, of course. And he also works for Sporza uh, on Extra Time and a uh, huge thing in Belgium, of course, the best talk show uh, in Belgium, no contest. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. It's, uh, it's always uh, great to have a fellow Belgian on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't happen too often. We had uh, Guillaume Mabe on last season uh, for previewing uh, Racing Genk, of course, in the Europa League. Uh, so you're the second Belgian on the show, uh, not counting myself. <laughs> Very honored to be here. So yeah, Diaby. I was trying to call him Dybala almost. That would have been a, a big big news. And you would have been an expert on that as well, because of course you cover the Italian League too. I, I think Bajikta's... Uh... We'd be better off with Dybala than with Diaby. Yeah, it's a, it's a little, <laughs> little bit above our pay grade, but uh, let's <laughs> talk about Abdullah Diaby. And uh, I, I, I struggled remembering if he scored against us a few years ago, but I don't think it was at Bruges back then. That was uh, Bolingoli, I believe, uh, who scored those uh, two stunning goals in Istanbul back then. Um, but Abdullah, you can be sure it was not Diaby because uh, he scored zero goals uh, in uh, European tournaments for Club Bruges, so uh, he did not score against you. There, that's good to know. I think he arrived much later anyway. That was like 2016 or 17, I think. But he had, uh, I believe, two seasons at Club Rouge. Uh, really good seasons. Um, yeah, and one season where he uh, was uh, injured, injured right? lots of the time, but uh, he didn't score that year. Mm-hmm. But the other two seasons uh, were very, very good. Yeah, and uh, the main thing right now, what Besiktas fans are hoping to hear from you is... Is he a striker or is he a winger? Because that's kind of the controversy. Besiktas were looking to get a striker on the final match day because the main striker, Burak Yilmaz, is having some injury issues, has missed the first three games of the season. Fans are getting worried a little bit that there's not really a proper backup. There's a young 20-year-old, Kuven Yalcin, who's talented but not mm-hmm. ready yet. Um, then there's Umut Nair, who is 26, came from the second division. He's a decent player, but again, that's not what Besiktas are looking for as a forward. So they needed a striker. They were linked with uh, former Anderlecht player Okaka on the deadline day, which I found a little puzzling. Uh, but then suddenly the news broke. Diaby was on his way already to Istanbul and he signed on loan from Sporting Lisbon. And then, of course, fans started uh, looking him up. And it's like, oh, wait, he played a lot on the wing at Sporting. He's only 1,73 meter. That's very small. He's not really a striker. He's, he's a winger. What is this? Um, so, Michael, can you clarify for us a little bit what type of a player we can expect he, from Diaby? Most definitely, he is a striker. He played under Marcel Keizer uh, in Sporting uh, from the wing, but he uh, really enjoys playing with three strikers, with Bas Dost as the number nine, and then Diaby had to play from the left side. He didn't score much in uh, Lisbon, uh, but he gave lots, uh, lots of assists. But mainly he's a striker and he's, uh, he's fitting, uh, a fitting striker in a two-striker system, which he played in his last season uh, in Club Rouge under uh, Ivan Leko. They played uh, 3-5-2. And um, he was um, partnered with Wesley of uh, Aston Villa. And he scored lots of goals. Um, the season before, he had a difficult season, as I already said, 
where uh, he didn't score any goals, but was uh, was an injury riddled uh, season for Diaby. Um, his first season was uh, actually his best under uh, Prudhomme. Then he played as a solo striker, as a solo number nine. Um, and uh, I guess he had 16 goals, uh, four of them in uh, the playoffs. Uh, in Belgium, we have playoffs to decide who becomes champion. Um, and uh, he's a, he was a killer in the box. He's small, but he's very fast, very agile. And if you play him the right way, he can score lots of goals for uh, Besiktas, and that's what a striker needs to do. Yeah, and uh, one of the main things what Besiktas are trying to do this season is uh, combination football, high-pressure football. Um, so the expectation is that uh, the striker is also going to be able to link up well with the players on the wings, with the players in midfield. Do you think that Diaby is adequate in doing that, uh, or is he more that's guided? That's not his strong suit. That's not his strong suit. I would say he is going to be the best striker um, in a two-striker system if you uh, let him link up with a, with a tall striker, a uh, target man, then he can uh, play a shadow role behind him and then it'll be very useful. But as a main striker, maybe coming off the bench when your team has, it, uh, has some difficulties and they have to play reaction football, then Diaby uh, can be a strong addition to Bejiktas. But I don't think... He's the best uh, player to play link-up football, to keep the ball at his feet and let the other guys uh, join in. No, that's not his uh, best quality. I think he's very fast. He's, he's very decisive, but he's not the combination uh, striker, I think. Yeah, and I believe in the playoffs that first season, he scored a couple of really important goals. Uh, was yes, it? Yeah, he scored two goals against Anderlecht. Uh, one... Uh, with the head, uh, and he scored a second goal in uh, the championship deciding uh, game, uh, which meant that Le Bruges uh, became champion under uh, Michel Prudhomme for the first time in 10 years. So it was a very, very important goal. And in his last season, he also scored twice against Anderlecht. So uh, the fans of Le Bruges uh, really remember that. He's not a legend. That would be an overreaction uh, and exaggeration. But um, they remember him as a as a good striker who scored lots of goals and who was always uh, there when needed in uh, in big games when the challenge was really big. Then he stood up, and I think that's very important when you play in Turkish uh, League One. Yeah, for sure. The pressure in Turkey, especially in the derbies, is immense. Uh, the expectations will be high. Missing opportunities is not something that fans appreciate in Turkey either. Um, but you describe him as, as a clinical striker, uh, is what I'm gathering, uh, who can rise to the occasion in bigger games. So his feet aren't necessarily his best aspect. How is he on the ball in terms when he's when he's up uh, up to speed, uh, when they're playing, trying to play him through with a, with a true pass or something? That's something I would imagine he's good at. Uh, but I wouldn't say he lacks technique he is uh, technical his technical ability is quite good actually but he's not super refined but he's a left he's a lefty and I really like left-footed uh, players especially attackers but he's he's somebody who um, if you throw him a high ball he will win his uh, aerial uh, duel um, but if you play him uh, a deep pass uh, through the ground on the ground, then you uh, can really be sure that he'll win his, uh, his sprint against his opponent and he doesn't need to think twice of shooting from outside of the box or inside of the box. He's really a guy who will shoot first, pass second. But if you play him right, that can be, that can be something to your advantage, uh, Besiktas, if you play him right in the right way. That's kind of the similar trait that our young striker has too. But the problem there is he'll look for the shot first and the pass second. But the time in between that looking for the shot and the pass can take a little long. Um, last week, for example, against Gustepet, I think it was 2 or 3 nil, And uh, Unkudu came in, made his debut. And it was a very simple ball to square for the young striker. He could have gave uh, Nukudu and tap in, but he took way too long deciding to shoot himself or, or pass it. And then finally, when he made the decision to pass, uh, the defender managed to intercept it. Um, so 
But sometimes you need a striker that's selfish as long as they don't take half a century to make a decision. Of course, decision making is key uh, in any position in the attacking third, but uh, especially yeah, for a striker. But he's, he's also a guy who will uh, who will really enjoy playing with the likes of Nkuru, with Adam Jaic, with uh, Jermin Lenz. Uh, guys who are creative, guys um, who are not selfish, but who enjoy giving the final ball. And I think if you play him... With two strikers, and then maybe the first striker, who is a tall striker or who is a target man, can work as a decoy. And then he can just, with his uh, speed in the first meters, he can just pop up and he'll definitely uh, work the ball uh, in one time past the goalkeeper. And I think that can play, uh, that, can, that sounds like good music for Jeremy Lenz and Nkuru and Jaic, who like clinical finishers, who like guys who don't need to think uh, twice before striking. And I think uh, Bajiktas really has a good guy if you play him right, because I don't know which system Abdullah Afci uh, has in his mind, but if you play him right, or if you let him play the last 15 minutes of an important game when the, the defense is uh, tired, then you have a golden guy in uh, Abdullah Diaby. Well, if you're interested in knowing, it's, it's very... Uh... Uh, it's something I haven't really seen yet. Um, have you seen many teams utilize uh, a false left back? Because <laughs> that's something. I mean, uh, or what you mean, like the company that... with Anderlecht and like uh, Man City did uh, with Sinchenko, like inverted backs. Yeah. Like if they don't have the ball, um, they play left back. But if they have the ball, they go to the center of the field yes. uh, to become an extra midfielder. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what he is doing. He, Abdullah Avci is a huge fan of Pep Guardiola. So that may explain where that comes from. Um, so that's kind of how Wichita are trying to play. Also, you know, how Pep likes to play, recovering the ball within you know, five to ten seconds or something after losing it at something. Uh, last weekend, we really started seeing that because it's been gradual, a gradual process. Wichita had a lot of injuries during the, the preseason camp. So it took a while so we didn't really see it in the first match yet in the second match we started seeing some signs of that inverted back and then in the third match we started seeing the the immense pressure that was being put on on a good team like uh, Chaiko Rizespor in the first half they recovered the ball within 5.8 seconds mm. uh, it was really impressive but unfortunately that f- match finished 1-1 because they didn't really have a clinical finisher up top um, but hopefully now with, with Diaby being there and as an alternative to Burak Yilmaz who is still going to be out for a week or two. I think uh, they might have a, a proper player for that, but I don't know if he's gonna if he's going to fit in that system. Um, is he someone that shies away from doing some uh, extra pressing work, or is that something he doesn't uh, mind? He had a really demanding coach in Marcel Kaiser as well in Lisbon, um, who also believes uh, you have to attack the the ball immediately when you uh, when you lost him. So uh, I guess. He has learned in uh, in Lisbon uh, that the extra meters count uh, defensively as well, uh, but you have to wait. You know, it's it's. I think uh, Abdullah is not the easiest player. He uh, he's a uh, not not to say that he has a difficult character, but I don't think he's a. Uh, yeah, you need a a manual to really uh, know how to get the best out of him. So. Letting him do the extra meters, maybe he does that the first, second game he plays. But if he is a substitute four or five games in a row, I don't know if he'll do that uh, when he enters the game. So uh, it really depends. It's a guy you have to give a lot of confidence and then he'll do those extra meters. But if you uh, if you don't give him enough uh, playing time, if you don't treat him with a lot of compliments on training or if you just look at him as option number three or four then it'll probably uh it, it probably won't work at Besiktas and it'll probably leave after six months or after uh, one full season without uh, the five million uh, euro uh how do you say that uh buyout clause buyout clause yeah so I think it's it's a guy who needs lots of confidence but maybe in two weeks when uh, Burak Yilmaz returns and Abdullah Afci is flexible enough to try a different system when they have difficulties against a big team like Fenerbahce or Galatasaray and they have to switch mid-match, then you have to bring him and uh, partner him up with Burak Yilmaz and that can really uh, give a spark to a struggling team. But I think 
you need to realize that Abdoulaye Diaby, maybe not, maybe it's not the best option as striker A. So if you give him a role as a substitute, you have to give him 30 minutes each game and then he'll be happy with the role of substitute. But if you only give him 10 minutes tops or maybe some games, 90 minutes on the bench, then he'll probably won't be happy anymore. And then you've got a problem because an unhappy Abdoulaye Diaby is not a good uh, fit for Besiktas. He's not a good player on the pitch and can be a nuisance uh, in the dressing room as well, I think. Okay, well, Michael van Warenberg, thank you very much for your insights on Abdoulaye Diaby. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And uh, we will talk to you again in the future. Okay, thank you so much. Bye. So once again, a very special thank you to all our guests today giving their insights on our new transfers. Please do check the show notes and give them a follow on Twitter. These guys are absolutely worth following. And uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode in which we, of course, reviewed the final four transfers of the Besiktas this window. And also, please don't forget to check out our upcoming Europa League preview for Group K. And also go and check out the Europa League and Champions League previews on Football a la Turca coming up somewhere next week. Thank you all for listening to the Black Eagles podcast and go Besiktas! Shiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.